0: Hello listeners, I wanted to tell you about something that I use and was part of its inception, joyful.gifts. Joyful.gifts is a service that makes giving gifts very easy and joyful. You tell us who you want to give gifts to, set a budget, and then we select buy and ship the gift automatically to every occasion, while you have peace of mind. Best of all, you actually save money since the software continuously mines the web for the best prices for you. If you want to give it a try, it's at joyful.gifts. No www.know.com. Just type joyful.gifts in your browser, and you're set to go. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the History of the Copts Episode 40 Disintegration So last time we ended with the death of Justinian in 565 AD leaving the Empire with a huge territorial expansion but with really big problems. To quickly wrap up his reign before he died the war in Italy was concluded with a technical Byzantine hollow victory as Italy was nothing more than a debobulated pile of ash after two decades of war. The situation in North Africa was bitter, especially with a quick campaign that got some of Spain back. But it did not really help the overall situation. With Persia, the actual war turned into a ceasefire, which turned into a Cold War, a tense frontier where both sides deeply distrusted each other. In the capital, Bob Sedosius was nearing his end, and he started preparing for a successor to lead the Miaphysites after him. After a couple of sit it seemed that ordaining a Miaphysite patriarch for Antioch would be the best way to do it. Remember, Antioch was in a really bad shape at this point, so a Miaphysite patriarch will both help the city and not be necessarily tied down to the actual place. Now, the obvious clear choice for a successor was Jacob Baradius. But as a bishop already, he could not really transfer into Antioch. Yet still, Bob Sidosius could have found ways to make it clear that Jacob is to lead the Miaphysites after him. But he did not, and he looked really hard for someone else to follow him. You see, Bob Pseudosius was never really a big fan of Jacob's mass ordinations. Back when Anesimus was the patriarch of Constantinople, Jacob was reminded in a letter with the biblical verse of Do not desire many useless children. And Pseudosius have consistently stuck with his original stance that miaphyside clergy were only to be ordained under extreme circumstances. Until his last day, he hoped for, quote, the illumination of the heart of the peaceful and victorious emperor and the rapid reunification of members of the church. Jacob Bardius, on the other hand, had seen the writing on the wall and pretty much proceeded with his own ordinations despite Bob Seidusius' stand. So, when it came time to pick a successor, Jacob despite his energy and success, was on the bottom of the list. Now, I don't want to overblow the differences here. The two men clearly got along, and Jacob was definitely on the list, so to speak. He just wasn't the preferred choice. And in any case, in a nice diplomatic move, Bob Sidosius asked Jacob to personally participate in the consecration of his secretary, a man named Paul as the patriarch of Antioch, who would be, according to Pope Sidonius's plans, the designated successor to lead the Miaphysites. Paul was born in Alexandria on a lifelong Miaphysite, and he played an instrumental role in combating the Thrasyist group that we spoke about last week. So, on the surface, he was not a bad choice at all. But he was no Jacob Bardius or Bob C. Dossius, and rather than rally the Miaphysites to him, he would make the movement splinter into various factions by consistently miscalculating his position. For now, so, he still had Bob C. at his back, so he was still away from those mistakes. To smoothen the transition, just before Bob C. died, he inaugurated a Miaphysite home synod of bishops and took several of Severus' church canons and added to them, forming the disciplinary canons of the new Miaphysite church. Finally, he gave Paul the right to act as his representative in Egypt and instructed him to ordain Miaphysite bishops in there. Thus, before Pope Sidosius died, Paul had authority in both Antioch as its bishop and in Egypt, as Pope Sidotius' representative. On top of that, he had church canons and a standing senate of bishops, giving him everything that a patriarch needs to run a church effectively. With those sporting gifts, Pope Sidonius saw the death of Justinian and the elevation of his nephew Justin II the and then passed away a few months later. The new emperor, for his part, granted Pseudocius a magnificent funeral, and Pseudocius went down as a man who fought for unity and miaphysite orthodoxy to his last day. In some periods of history, sticking around and surviving with a set of principle is a remarkable achievement in of itself. The reign of Justinian was one of these periods, especially for the church. Pope Theodosius not only stuck around and survived all of Justinian's policy changes with his set of principles, he actually managed to propagate Christianity in Nubia and keep the Miaphysite movement from splintering into various factions. His last act was to ordain a bishop for Nubia, officially incorporating the area under the universal Miaphysite church and cementing his legacy as the 1st ex-exclusive Miaphysite Coptic patriarch, despite his consistent efforts to avoid that title. Now with the benefit of hindsight, we know that the Byzantine world order was in trouble and that it would gradually disintegrate with the inhabitants of the empire, at least in Egypt, gradually seeing less in common with their rulers. With the religious differences playing their part in that process. But on the ground, the age of Justinian was not really seen as a dividing moment. No, what was seen was a continuation of the same old policies and solutions to the problems facing the empire. His successor, Justin II, was actually very sympathetic to the Miaphysites and made serious efforts to find some common ground between the two camps. But he was faced with some serious financial problems that literally, and I mean literally, drove him mad. You see, a basic tenet of the Byzantine foreign policy was to use money to divide or buy off hostile neighbors, which made practical sense, as it was often cheaper than war but the empire had no money after justinian so that kind of broke things down the hard-earned conquest of italy was practically lost to a germanic tribe named the lombards quickly central europe was constantly under raids from neighboring barbarians and worst of all war broke out again with Persia. in the capital through the influence of asanasius the grandson of Theodora, and patron the of the Triceist, Justin decided to try again for unity and invited the leading Miaphysites, Triceists and Chalcedonians for a theological discussion without his interference. Those discussions were actually quite productive and led to some practical results. First, the Triceist finally completely folded under two bishops went back to the Miaphysite hierarchy. Second, a deal was struck with the Chalcedonian patriarch of Constantinople that communion would be restored if the Henoticon of Zeno was restored as the foundation of the faith, plus adding Severus to the list of bishops mentioned in the liturgy. But the problem with that deal was there was already two church hierarchies in Syria, and the deal meant that one of them had to go. The Patriarchy of Antioch specifically had two bishops, Paul, who we mentioned earlier, and a Chalcedonian one. Under this agreement, it looked like Paul would lose his position, as he was ordained after the Chalcedonian Patriarch, and this was a problem, as he was, at least on paper, the designated leader of the Miaphysites. To make matters worse, due to his earlier efforts against the Triseist, Ball and that group did not get along at all, and it was them who organized the discussions in the first place. So, in those discussions, Ball was persona non grata, and Jacob Baradius was the leading negotiator for the Miaphysites. So it was no surprise that Ball found himself on a losing end. Are not very happy about the whole thing. Unfortunately, despite Theodosius' best effort to leave a stable succession, the Miaphysite movement lacked a clear leader who can give this agreement legitimacy. Jacob and Paul were on a collision course, and it showed clearly in the failure of this agreement. You see, after the elite bishops finished their meeting in the capital, an imperial officer traveled to the influential monasteries of the Miaphysites in Syria to try and get buy-in from the monks. A very smart idea, as this is where the passionate heart of the movement was. If the bishops accepted the agreement and the Syrian Miaphysite monks did, then it was only a matter of time until Egypt would follow. But unfortunately, the Syrian monks were split between Baal and Jacob and with a deep sense of distrust of anything coming from Constantinople. As such, Baal's side ended up carrying the day, and an agreement crashed in the rocks of the Syrian monasteries. For his effort, Jacob Baradius lost a lot of his influence and was threatened with excommunication from some of the more extreme monastic elements. To give Justin II credit so, he did not give up and after a couple of years he tried again. This time he completely pushed Bol and his entourage out, going as far as to imprison a bishop close to Ball, and he decided to publish the results of the discussion as an edict with or without the monks' buy-in. Fortunately for Jacob's reputation so, he was not a bard of that second round of discussion, as he was held back from going to the capital by a group of monks who feared for his life or even worse, his orthodoxy. The result of that second round of negotiation was an edict of Justin II in 571 AD, which was, in all fairness, heavily leaning toward the Miaphysite camp. As always, I posted the full text as a supplement on the website but here is its memorable quotes Justin wrote that it was quote right to confess one incarnate nature of the God logos then he followed that up with while contemplating the differences of the natures we affirm that they are two, without however introducing any division for either nature is in him once we confess one and the same Christ, one son, one person, one substance, both God and man together. So, in essence, it was a repackaged Hinata Khan of Zeno, and attempted the same solution that failed earlier in Justin's reign. In response to that edict, Bull, who had been sidelined this whole time, announced that he is ready to accept it if it was made clear that it replaced Chalcedon. And, as a reminder, at this point, even so, Paul is the bishop of Antioch. He actually resided in Constantinople and still served as the de facto bishop of Alexandria. With all the attempts at unity, leaving the Miaphysite seat of Alexandria technically open was a good idea to avoid what was happening in Antioch. At any rate, he was led to believe, or more likely miscalculated, the feelings of the emperor, that this edict did indeed replace Chalcedon. So, he celebrated liturgy with the Chalcedonian patriarch in the capital. And for a moment, it seemed all is well. Unfortunately, he quickly found out that no one in the capital was ready to abandon Chalcedon, including the emperor. The edict, like the Hennatikon of Zeno, was not meant to replace Chalcedon, but refine its theology. So, he broke communion with the Byzantine church again, and just like the first attempt in union in Justin's reign, the second one failed quickly. Now, as you can imagine, Justin was absolutely infuriated at the Miaphysite leadership. At the core, Nothing could satisfy the Miaphysites but the direct condemnation of Chalcedon. But if Justin did that, then he would immediately lose Palestine, Constantinople and the West, who could not tolerate this move. The only way that seemed viable was either to let the two churches be and not get involved, or to try to get one disappear. And as the first option was incompatible with Byzantine church and state political philosophy, nothing was left but the second choice. It seems crazy to us now that two organized churches cannot just coexist in a huge geographical area that the empire governed. But to the Byzantines, a one church, guided by a chosen vassal of God in the person of the emperor, was the foundation of their world order. Anything else would mean failure and more importantly, the wrath of God. An emperor tolerating heretics is a bad emperor, period, no matter how much damage persecuting those heretics would cause to the health of the empire. As such, Justin completely gave up and decided that it would be best to make the Miaphysites disappear. The details here are hazy, as this was about the time that Justin could not handle the stress of the job, and as I mentioned earlier, went crazy. At a minimum, so it seemed that the Miaphysite churches in the capital were closed, and several leading Miaphysite bishops, including Ball, were imprisoned. The final straw in his breakdown was the reigniting of the war with Persia, and the now, very familiar destruction and depopulation of Syria. His wife briefly took over, then convinced him to abdicate and elevate a combatant general named Tiberius to co-roll with her. Tiberius, at his elevation, did the best that he could in the trying circumstances. He reversed Justin edicts in regard to the Miaphysites, and basically let them be. The empire could not afford to persecute its own citizens at the moment. He also managed to press the boss button and the territorial losses in Italy and Central Europe and bought an expensive peace from Persia. In his brief four-year reign, Ball, Jacob and the Copts saw enough of a breathing room to finally ordain a miaphysite bishop of Alexandria after a ten-year hiatus following the death of Cedusius when the seat was empty. At this point there weren't really any more efforts of unity and in the same time there was not a lot of pressure on the Fisites. So really there was no excuses to keep the seat open. So, bull who was one of the bishops imprisoned under Justin but either escaped or was released under Tiberius, went ahead. And ordained a closely allied Syrian monk named Theodore. But again he miscalculated badly. First, in Egyptian monastic circles no one really thought highly of Paul. His brief communion with the patriarch of Constantinople cast a doubt on his orthodoxy. Second, and this is much more important, Theodore was completely unknown in Egypt, a foreigner just like the Chalcedonian patriarch. Which was exacerbated by the fact that Paul did not really bother with building a relationship with the Egyptian monks and never really asked their feedback and his choice. It did not occur to him that before ordaining a patriarch for the Copts, it's probably a good idea to ask them first who did they want. So, in response to his ordination, several of the leading monks and Miaphysite clergy in Alexandria got together and ordained an elderly deacon named Peter who was an in entourage of Sidonius. Pope Peter was an excellent choice and despite his age, he quickly put the Coptic church on a solid footing. First thing he did he opened a line of communication with Jacob Bardeus, and he asked for his endorsement for the office. Jacob, realizing that the Egyptians were not going to accept Seudor, quickly gave it to him. Then, copying Jacob's playbook, he also quickly ordained 70 bishops for the whole of Egypt. Local men from local monasteries who knew their flock and their towns respected them. Finally, he made his headquarters in the Innothon Monastery in the suburbs of Alexandria, leaving the city to the Chalcedonian patriarch and permanently linking the Coptic church to the monasteries. Now, it did not matter what the emperor was doing in Alexandria. The real church for the Egyptians was in the desert, Bo Peter IV would last only two years before dying, but those years were extremely chaotic. Just in case if you have lost count, we now have four rival bishops of Alexandria. First the Chalcedonian line, which I have been ignoring, as it mostly consisted of easily forgotten about imperial administrators who get appointed and removed by imperial decrees. Second, the Julianist line started by Gyllenos. These guys were essentially ordained and then quickly arrested and exiled, but still had their loyal followings in Egypt. Then we have Theodore who was ordained by Baal, basically a patriarch only on paper. And finally, we have Pope Peter IV, who was chosen by the Copts themselves. The fact that Peter managed to do anything at all is remarkable, but to ordain 70 bishops in two years and put a stable foundation for whoever is going to follow him is just amazing. Now, Paul was in a really tricky position. He can either just cede his claims and the Miaphysite movement and let Jacob do his thing in Syria and Peter do the same in Egypt or he can double down and appeal to his base on the expense of everyone else and of course he chose the latter. Paul's core base of support came from the Ghassanids who in essence wanted someone independent enough to not be dominated by the Byzantines and weak enough to be dominated by them. Paul was then the perfect man, as Jacob Bardius was way too independent for their liking, and their own original bishop was too attached to the imperial government. When Paul was not in the capital, he was traveling full-time with the gassanids So, despite being the bishop of Antioch, he never actually went to the city. The Ghassanids under Al-Haris had basically become a powerhouse and completely dominated the northern Arabian Peninsula. When Al-Haris died, his tribal confederation was well on its way to become a powerful Miaphysite Christian kingdom that was rapidly expanding in the desert with the rivals the Lakhmids losing ground on a daily basis. His son and successor, Al-Munzar or Al-Mundir as you read it in English, continued his father's journey, and to that effect, he protected Paul and gave him a functioning base of support. So, when Paul Peter, Jacob Baradius, and several of the leading Mephisites decided that Paul had done enough damage and excommunicated him, Paul basically ignored him and continued working as the Patriarch of Antioch from his base with the Gassanids. The excommunication text sums up his miscalculations very nicely. To quote it directly, Paul had communicated at the hands of the Chalcedonians, and secondly, he had consecrated as patriarch for the Alexandrian a certain Theodore, without the Alexandrian being informed. The next step for Jacob and Peter was to ordain a replacement for the see of Antioch. And to do that, Jacob decided to travel in person to Egypt and get the Miaphysite hierarchy there involved in the choice. Thus, very shortly, the see of Antioch will have several rival bishops as well, and disintegrate, just as the situation in Alexandria. That disintegration would be exacerbated by the deaths of Jacob Bardeus, who died on his way to Egypt. Sufficient to say, Has this really left a big void in Syria? We will get to the post-Jacob Mia movement and how it played a role in the rise and then ultimately the downfall of the Ghassanid Confederation in the Arabian Peninsula. And this collapse left a political and a religious vacuum that would be filled by Islam. But to end this week, I would like to wrap up The short train of Pope Peter. In the process of consolidating the Miaphysites in Egypt and ordaining the 70 bishops that we talked about earlier, Peter grew close to a Syrian monk living in the wilderness of Saketis named Damian. The monk left Saketis and became Pope Peter's deacon in the Enotan monastery, and he eventually became the leading choice to replace him. So, when Pope Peter IV died, Damian replaced him without much fanfare or drama. I think it is important to point out here that even so Damian was a Syrian. He was accepted quite naturally in Egypt, unlike Theodore. The is here was that Damian had lived in Egypt for a while now and was well known in the Egyptian monastic circles. So, the rejection of the Chalcedonian line on Paul's candidate was more about their fidelity to the flock than any nascent nationalistic or ethnic feelings. But in any case, by 578 AD, both Jacob and Peter were dead, Paul of Antioch was excommunicated, and Damian was a brand new patriarch of Alexandria. Justin II the second, also happened to die in the same year, leaving Tiberius alone on the throne. For us so, the first problem facing Pope Demian was what to do about the seat of Antioch. Would he consecrate his own man? Would he see who the Syrian monks want and consecrate that person? Or would he return Baal back to his seat and get a powerful political backer and Nagasanets. Tough questions. Fortunately, we got a week to think about them. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening. Farewell, and until next week.